0: Welcome to the On Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a member of Gestalt IT. And each episode, we bring the opinions and perspectives of a group of IT luminaries to you on a topic or a premise, if you will. Um, I'd like to take a moment for our guests to introduce themselves before we dive into the premise of today's episode, starting with Corey.
1: Hi, my name is Corey Younger. I'm on Twitter at SDNDaughter and I blog at TotalPackets.com.
2: My name is Chris Grundeman, and coincidentally, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Grundemann also online, ChrisGrundeman.com.
3: Hi, I'm Avril Sorter, and you can find me on Avril Sorter, USA. Let's jump into
0: the premise of today's episode. Security is something that we all have to deal with on a daily basis, whether it's something as simple as changing our password on a regular basis, or something as complicated as ensuring that Bad actors are incapable of getting into our enterprise networks, whether they're in our enterprise offices or at home, and causing problems. And security is easy, right? I mean, if it was hard, there would be a whole lot more stuff that we had to deal with. All I have to do is go online and and buy this product, and this will solve all of my problems, whether it's a firewall or a data loss prevention unit or whatever XDR is. I'm not sure what it is, but I know that it's going to solve all of my problems because the person who's trying to sell it to me told me that. And you don't need any process. You don't need any business rules around that. It's going to solve all of your problems. And all of the security professionals who are currently listening to this podcast, who are typing a burning comment about how wrong I really am, that's the premise of today's episode, is that security is more than just a set of products. So I've got a bunch of security professionals here. So I just want to throw the first kind of topic of discussion out here. And that is, we've spent a good number of years in the security industry talking to companies that are trying to sell us the latest, greatest thing. And I reference XDR because it's kind of interesting. Um, I've, I've talked to some people about it recently, and they kind of all shrug their shoulders. They don't know what it is but they know that it's important because someone told them that they need to put that name on their product if someone wants to buy it. So do we see these kinds of cycles coming up because there are folks out there that are saying, well, we need to move more products, so we need to to put a shiny new badge on it. Are, are we getting trapped in a cycle of security being more focused on getting the next SKU out the door than it is actually making people safe and secure?
1: Tom, I think that um, part of... Part of the rush for changing new products and making smarter products is because of our lack of qualified security professionals. So while real security is dependent on not just good products, but also good people and good process, I think that a lot of vendors are trying to solve the skills gap um, or the skills shortage right now by adding um, intelligent, uh, intelligent monitoring into their systems as well as automating some of the decisions that would be made by a day-to-day stock manager.
2: Yeah. I think that's an interesting take uh, that there's definitely this idea of, um, you know, I think of like the Dutch boy with his fingers in the dam a little bit. Right. And obviously there are problems with security uh, across the, the, the globe, across all industries. And it seems like a lot of folks are pumping out products to try and fill all those holes. Right. And every time there's a new gap or a new crack, um, there's a slew of new products to come along to try and stuff those holes full. And um, it, it doesn't quite work that way. Right. Because a lot of these breaches, uh, if you look at the news and actually watch, you know, the, I mean, there are some really complicated zero day, you know, crazy stuff going on out there, right. Advanced persistent threats and, and a lot of that stuff. But, but a lot of this is is really simple hygiene, right. Folks get a password somehow they do some social engineering, some phishing. They've got a password, they get into the system, they start moving laterally. Um, and, and so you know, there's a question there, right? How high tech do you need to get to to just improve basic security processes? Um, So I I definitely think that uh, there's an interesting conversation here.
3: Yeah, so I have a slightly different take on on the issue as well, because I I do think you're absolutely right there, but I have a slight thing I want to add is that what I've seen in recent years is that we've seen a slew of... um, uh, compliance issues coming up, regulations and things like that. And I feel like a lot of these products are just like, oh, let me have a little checkbox. Um, I conform to that regulation. I've done this. And you see a lot of products coming in the market, again, tagged with we provide this level of conformance. And I, th- I feel like people are meeting a checklist as opposed to sort of sitting back and saying, what are the real industry threats? And what is the industry threat, not not just to everybody, but to my business, to our, my organization? And therefore, what is the security aspects that I need to resolve, as opposed to a bunch of checklists? And I think coming back when you have a bunch of checklists, what happens is you start getting fragmented solutions. I need this bit for that problem and this bit for that problem. And you're like, you end up in a very fragmented kind of environment where you've met a bunch of things, but not really dealt with the underlying problem that you're meant to be dealing with, which is your business security.
0: So that's actually a really interesting point because I know that a lot of security professionals out there have used this checkbox analogy a lot in the past in thinking that security is essentially just like a a door lock. So the door is locked, therefore we're secure. And they forget that the checkbox comes from an entire list of policies that need to be in place. For example, the door needs to be locked between these hours. The door needs to be locked unless there's someone in the house the door needs to be locked at all times with these three locks. And so by, by reducing it essentially down to a checkbox that can be uh, taken care of with a product, we're, we're invalidating the entire methodology behind why we lock the door or what the purpose behind having doors in the first place might be. And I feel like the vendors who are trying to sell products some of them may be trying to exploit that checkbox mentality but i think that going back to one of corey's points the lack of trained security professionals is an outgrowth of the fact that we don't spend a lot of time training people to understand all of the research that has to go behind that checkbox we just tell them deploy the firewall make sure the acls work um and everything will take care of itself so can we kind of take control back and say you can be a security analyst, you can be a security operations team member, but you're going to have to put the work in because there's no magic bullet that's going to make you a security wizard overnight.
1: I want to talk about the reason why those check boxes exist. And it's because a lot of times when security analysts have to talk to business managers or even more importantly, vendors have to talk to decision makers in a company, the decision makers don't necessarily care about And this might get me in trouble, but they don't necessarily care about the data that's at risk. Um, They care more about not getting fined. And that's a big part of security analysts' job is doing those cost analysis. And is the data more important, like, is the value of the data more important to protect than the cost of the software or the security system? So I think that the check mark makes it easy to make a sale. It also makes it easy for a security engineer to justify selling a, you know, them selling a product to their managers. Um, And I think that that communication has just always been the easy route. And business business managers don't always want to listen to what the real risks are, because it's just not justifiable cost-wise.
0: And I would agree that one of the biggest concerns that we have in pretty much IT in general is balancing cost versus risk, balancing benefit versus expense. Um, I would be remiss here if I didn't bring up one of my very favorite quotes from a dear friend, Dr. Tracy Cart, uh, who was a professor of mine back in college. And she said that really, when it comes right down to it, there's only a couple of ways to motivate people, fear and greed. So if you can't bribe them, you need to scare the hell out of them. Um, and I think that we've been doing that a lot in several years is to scare the hell out of the mentality of if you don't do this, you're going to lose. And that has kind of flowed down into the, the product marketing side of things is, oh, here's a big, bad threat. And you really need this product to protect you from it. Whereas if we go back and look at something as simple as, you know, some of the reports coming out of the SolarWinds hack, would more hardware have fixed the problem? That's possible. Would having a password policy in place that would disallow passwords like SolarWinds123 have prevented the hack? Very probably. And it would have been a whole lot cheaper than buying more hardware. So do we, do we have a, a kind of a disconnect, as you said, Corey, where maybe the executives don't quite get it because we're not speaking their level? And is the solution that we just need to keep pushing by the magic box to make the security problems go away? Or do we need to, to do a better job of educating at least some executive in security and making them aware of how important this is?
3: I'd like to jump in there, Tom, because I think that's, that's really an interesting thing. Because one of the things I think... Um, out of the conversation with Cory and, and, and your questions there was you know in the industry I think people are kind of getting used to being scared. It's like oh major breach oh yes oh yes we've we've seen that you know, we've seen breaches oh what's the subtlety of this breach and and so we're almost like becoming tired of hearing about the breaches. But what I also see is that companies now are starting to disclose their vulnerabilities. Uh, before they'd always talk about you know their finances and their risk assessment. And I think now companies are starting to openly talk about, their risk in the cybersecurity space I think it's almost expected now um, is that you know like if I'm investing into a company I almost want to know how are they protecting themselves not just you know are they making money and what's their dividends etc but almost like how are they protecting themselves and so companies are starting to disclose a little bit more about their um, what they're doing and how they are protecting themselves and I I think because of that is kind of up leveling a little bit and I think executives may not understand the security specifics but I think they understand the risk and the need to talk about it uh, with the investment industry and with their customers Uh, and so I think um, I think you're right there's a need to educate more but I think they're actually more willing than they've ever been in the past.
2: I think that's really interesting and definitely, you know, I do think it reminds me actually of when we were really deep into kind of trying to move IPv6 adoption, right? Which I know is a totally different topic, but one of the ideas that we kept floating was what we need to do is instead of trying to talk to the enterprises who don't want to deploy IPv6 is we need to go to the financial analysts and convince them that not deploying IPv6 is actually a financial risk because you know you, you are gonna lose access to customers and, and all, all the things that come from that, right? I mean, we don't have to go into the details there, but I think you're right that that's actually been a shift here as well. And so two things, right? Um, well, maybe three. The, the financial folks are paying attention to this, and so the reporting has to reflect it, which has definitely brought this up in the boardroom. Uh, the regulations that we talked about earlier and how sometimes those checkboxes actually help because they're forcing the boardroom, again, to really consider security. And then also, of course, the headlines. And I think that may be one of the biggest motivators is you know, no CEO uh, wants to be on the front page of the New York Times for you know, letting customer data out. Uh, and so we're definitely seeing some more motivation from those sides come in. But, but I think one of the other parts of this conversation that we've kind of slipped by so far is that, you know, there used to be a place to put that box, uh, and there's not anymore, um, right? So we're talking about deprimatization, de- the move to the cloud, the move to distributed workforces. Uh, it's it really, really hard to draw a circle around what you're connecting, uh, what you're protecting, and, and what you have control over, right? Because when you're using a SaaS service and an IaaS service, and the internet to connect them, and your users at home using their, you know, personal bot laptop, you control none of the infrastructure, but you still have to secure the data. Uh, And I think that's where we come to, you know, the idea of zero trust network access and zero trust architecture in general. And that's why that's become so popular. And and I think one of the things that's really important here is um, that we're talking about a little bit before we, we started recording was that there is no such thing as a ZTA appliance, right? And there never will be, there can't be. There is really a lot of policy process behavior that's baked into this. And, and I think that's a really interesting way to look at this is that you just, you simply can't put a firewall on your network connection and antivirus on your you know computers and say you're secure anymore. Um, and so while we may proliferate the number of software devices and, and hardware boxes we can put out there, uh, if we don't change e- every user's behavior, I don't think any of it will ever be super effective.
1: I think now is... You know, like Avril spoke about, now executives are starting to listen, and Chris, you talk about the importance of education. I think that right now, like if there are security professionals listening, like right now is the time to speak up. If you have become a button pusher in the past two, three years, like it's it's time to speak up and say, no, our people are a problem. Um, so I think what we need is more passionate security professionals Um and a recent statistic that I read recently was that by 2021, they estimate that 100% of large companies globally will have a CISO. So I think bringing that executive level position up to actually an executive level position um, and not just a director level helps that, helps facilitate that conversation a lot easier of, you know, what is more important, just compliance or educating our employees and really understanding the risk, because I think that the headline is is a big thing everybody wants to avoid.
0: I uh, I've worked with enough uh, professionals in the past that have told me that their one goal in life is to never have Brian Krebs call them and say, "I'm looking for a comment on a story." Um, likewise, news organizations are are pretty much the same. Uh, but I I would be remiss if I didn't ask one specific question, though. I come from a networking background. Security is kind of a hobby that I do. And um, networking has been a very manual process with a lot of passionate people. Um, sometimes we get called the department of no or the department of maybe next week. And I've been told that automation is the key to my, my woes, that if I just automate a lot of this stuff away, that, that I won't have anything to worry about it, and I can spend more time working on the easy, the problems that I need to take care of, the easy things. Um, but a lot of that automation comes with, with frameworks and products and things that I need to buy. So on the one hand, networking is telling me that I need to buy these things and automate my job so that it's easier for me to, to work on other problems. But in security, effectively, what you're saying is don't buy these products, get super passionate, be the kind of person that kind of jumps in and then you'll be a really great security person. Is it that products are getting in the way of people being passionate? Or is it that people need to be more effective in using the products that they have in creative ways to combat new threats?
1: Yes. So I think that intelligent products have their spot, but the people need to be passionate too. So we're seeing um, there are certain solutions out there right now, vendor nameless, that they will push your on-prem firewall up up to the cloud. And so every change that you take on-prem automatically happens up in the cloud. I think that's a great example of how automation is gonna make security engineers job easier. It doesn't eliminate it, um, but it makes it easier. So I think that we should be, I always say, I always like to tell people to tread cautiously with the new trends, right? But I don't think we should be fearful of automation and security. I think that we should lean into it, but I don't think that that necessarily has to take the passion and hands-on experience from security engineers.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I would say that, you know, the the that is one area where I would say additional products and maybe they're not even products, right? Doesn't this doesn't have to be a productized approach. Um automation in a lot of cases it's really hard to, to go after a productized approach. There are some you know, automation tools that are, that are productized, but inherently, if you want to wrap all this stuff together right, and put glue between other people's products, a lot of times that needs to be some kind of open source, really open standard approach. Um, but automation, I think, is one area definitely to invest in. And I think it goes to, to Corey's point about um, not becoming a button pusher, right? which is this idea that um, potentially the more products you add to your security stack, the wider you've made your, your threat um, surface actually. Right. And so, you know, additional security products can actually add to the threat surface that you're protecting, uh, which is a really interesting uh, aspect of this as well.
3: I have a, Yeah, I'd like to share with you, um, uh, you know, something I observed that that kind of fits into this, but is a slight tangential. You know, I work a lot on 5G and I was, you know, the cellular, the new cellular standards. And uh, in particular, I was really studying the security aspects. And in 5G, you see a lot of these concepts like uh, edge computing, virtualization, software-defined networking, all of these automated things that we're seeing. Right. And and that Tom, you, you're asking about, you know, what is happening on the automation. And then when I look at the security aspects and I look at how they've defined security in 5G, I'm seeing all legacy. I'm seeing, I mean, it's all the traditional security stuff, it's like access management, managing the subscriber ID, protecting data over the networks. And and so I, I kind of feel like the basics of security from a security professional's perspective, haven't changed the, you, you, you know, it's still what it was 20 years ago. And I know that sounds awful because we're in this modern world and I do know that there's new threats. So I'm not saying that there isn't new threats, but I think the basic understanding of security and what a security professional has to be hasn't really changed that much. And although in 5G, we are seeing all of these advanced techniques. I still think 99% of it is what we're seeing before, And, and so I think there's a real opportunity, and my advice to someone in the security field, myself, would be get the basics right, you know, make sure you do understand the access management and all of that, and don't get too caught up in all of these great techniques because they're just new techniques for doing what we've been doing for 20 years right um and that's been my observation for 5g and please feel free to challenge me on that um it's just what i've been observing recently
0: it's funny because i honestly think that it goes back to one of everyone's favorite not christmas movies die hard when uh Hans Gruber and his group of um, revolutionaries turned out to just be common criminals. They found a creative way to take over a building, but they're still there to just steal stuff. So the behavior of criminals and thieves and hackers and ne'er-do-wells doesn't really change over time. Maybe the methods are a little bit more advanced, but when it comes right down to it, everyone's going to do the same things when they get in. So you know, maybe you're right, uh, Avril, that really when it comes right down to it, we've solved a lot of these problems, no matter how technically advanced they are, we just have to get really good at applying the lessons that we've been learning over the last decades.
3: Yeah, and and I just want to jump in there and just add to that is also, and I think if you do that, I think, um, and spend maybe 80, 90%, it frees you up then to spend some of your time looking at the new threats and I think it's more important to look at the new threats than it is to perhaps look at the new techniques for solving what we've already solved. Personal opinion there.
1: Yeah, I think the basics are always important to understand um, and not understand, but understand well. Um, and even as new techniques are coming out, relating them back to how, to, how do we solve problems previously. Uh, just another fun statistic I wanted to throw out there. You know, I've emphasized the reason why we have these automated technologies now. Um, a lot of it arises from the skills gap and the lack of security professionals. Um, right now, there are 4 million unfilled roles in cybersecurity globally, according to Netsparker, I believe it is. Um, so we can have passionate security professionals, but something has to be automated, especially for, you know, these small businesses that don't have the power to employ a full-time security professional themselves.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, where, where my head goes kind of as, as we uh, have, have like, look at this whole space it, is really about honing your craft. Right. And I think that, um, you know, just like, you know, if, if you're building a house, there may be, you know, a brand new, you know, extra lightweight titanium hammer with a magnet on top so you can set your your, your nails really well. And if you're just not a good framer, that hammer is gonna do more damage than it's gonna do help, right? And so I think that's one of the key points is, it's not that these products aren't helpful in some way or that many of them aren't helpful. It's that without a really seasoned, talented security practitioner, somebody who really is passionate about their job and has paid attention and has done the training and, and has done the work, you know, using those tools, um, they're they're essentially useless, right? And I think that's a big part of this. Uh, along with all the other things we talked about, right? Which is user behavior and, and setting policy right and setting process correctly. Uh, you really just need that, uh, that seasoned practitioner as well.
1: Yeah, so if you can't build the frame, maybe people need to be comfortable calling a managed security service provider, which there's a lot of them out there now. So the options are plentiful, but don't try to build a house if you can't.
0: All right. Well, I think through the discussion, we've kind of reinforced the idea that security is more than products, that it does require process, that it does require investment of both time and resources. But I think maybe one of the key pieces that we've pulled out of this discussion is that it's up to you. Yes, you, the security professional who's listening to this right now, you are the one that needs to make the decision today to invest You need to be the one that says, I'm going to pick up a book and learn a methodology to enforce zero trust security, rather than just relying on someone to tell me what it should look like with a box and a price tag. You need to be the one driving these conversations. Go back and relearn the technologies that you have spent your career looking into. Maybe there's a new and unique way to solve that problem that you're currently faced with. Um, You know, their RFC 1925 rule 11 says there are no new ideas. There's just older ideas that have been repackaged. And I think that that's never been more true in security than it has today. And just because someone has a new product or a new acronym to try to sell you something that you don't really need, doesn't mean that you need to write a check and tell them, shut up and take my money. But instead, think about how you're trying to solve the problems And you might find that you can do it without another product. That should just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And a special heads up because we will be discussing more security topics like this with a number of security professionals and security vendors at our upcoming Security Field Day 5 event taking place um, March 23rd through the 25th. You can find more information about this by going over to techfieldday.com and clicking on the link for Security Field Day 5, where you can find a whole host of information about who will be presenting, who will be in the audience, and when we will be kicking off the presentations. I want to thank each of our guests for being here today and offering their opinions and perspective. If you want to hear more great episodes of the On-Premise IT Roundtable, you can always head over to our website at gashaltit.com podcast and find the latest episode. You also subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice you can also find us on itunes and if you do we'd like it if you'd leave us a rating and a review that helps other people out there find us and uh tune in and maybe their favorite premise will be discussed in a future episode for myself tom hollingsworth for our guests and for the rest of the gestalt it community thank you very much for joining us and we can't wait to speak to you again soon